Hello, everyone. Hey. Y'all haven't heard from us in a while, but hey, here we are. (laughs) We've been on a little hiatus, but hopefully you all have been enjoying our reruns. Mm-hmm. Lots of old gems to be rediscovered. Mm-hmm. Well, if you don't know, I'm Ashley. And I'm Tania. And you're listening to another episode of QID, the podcast that is going to remind you why your girlfriend relationships are some of the best you'll ever have. We had the absolute privilege of chatting with the one, the only, Dr. Joy Bradford of Therapy for Black Girls, which is the place that most of us, pretty much everyone, should be going to look to find somebody to help us get our mental health in check if you're in need. But she also has, of course, the amazing Therapy for Black Girls podcast, which is such a great one like to really listen to especially like you don't even have to really think of it from the mental health perspective there's just a lot of good conversations with a lot of different therapists counselors mental health professionals and people outside of this space that just have a lot of good insights that i think as us as women as a black woman, and especially kind of navigating a new stage in life, I'm pretty sure there's something for you to take away on at least one of her episodes. But anywho, we chatted with her today, or we chatted with her, and I truly enjoyed the conversation. What about you, Tania? I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. She touched on many things that's important in friendships, but mostly overall relationships in general. I'm so excited to read her new book, Sisterhood Heals. She mentioned in the episode that she made this book because there's a lot of books, there's a lot of podcasts that talks about romantic relationships. There's not many information out there that talks about friendships. As Black women, we go through so many trials and tribulations. And who do we turn to? Of course, God. But also we turn to our friends, you know, our girlfriends Mm -hmm. who are there through thick and thin. Our girlfriends. There for anything. Our girlfriends. (laughs) (laughs) I figured that's where we were headed. (laughs) Yes, yes. That's exactly where we were headed. (laughs) But y'all get the point. Yeah. I mean, especially if you're listening to this, chances are you're navigating probably one of the biggest stages of your life. And that can come with so many feelings and emotions and weight. And a lot of times you can lean on, of course, like the person you're marrying, but sometimes it's your homegirls. It's like someone that's been there with you through this who've seen you through the last 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, you know, years of your life. And so as you're going through the stage, and even once you get on the other side of it, that's one thing that will likely remain is your really close friendships, especially with the girls in your life that have held you down throughout the years. So 
really excited for you to hear this exploration of us talking about this subject because it's a little different from what we've talked about in the past, but I think still a really, really good listen. So Sisterhood Heals, the transformative power of healing and community officially drops on Tuesday, June 27th, which is less than a week away. We highly encourage you to get this book. Like for real, we're both anxiously awaiting it, but you can find it on Amazon. The link to getting it is going to be in our notes below. And because we really want one of you to really read and digest what she's saying, we're going to give away one book to one very lucky Hubu. Now, the details of the giveaway will be found on social. I don't even tell you which account. So just make sure you are following us everywhere you can and you may end up with this book in your hands. But you know what? Be like us. We're not going to wait. We're not going to try to, but be like us. Basically, go ahead and pre-order your book now. And if you win it, you can pass your book on to another good homegirl of yours, a good sister that will love and want to read this as well. Dr. Joy Bradford will also be going on tour. And so if you are in the New York, New Orleans, Atlanta, Miami, Houston area, go to Sisterhood Heals, and that's S-I-S-T-E-R-H-O-O-D-H-E-A ls.com to find out more information if you want to hear her speak live and in person. Now, you heard me earlier when I mentioned that um, we hope that you are enjoying these reruns. Well, you will be hearing a little bit more reruns in the future. Why? Because Ashley and I are taking a much needed break. We just need a little podcast break, but we're still doing so much with you I do and otherwise as you can Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so we hope that you all stay tuned and continue to follow us continue to check up on us and don't forget to subscribe and watch I'll tell you what episodes that are dropping every single Monday and those episodes are in a whole different feed now, so they're not clogging up your Who I Do feeds anymore, guys. So yeah, do that while you're missing us. Listen to the reruns. Listen to this one because this isn't a rerun. This is actually episode 150. This is actually episode 150. Wow. Hold up now. Hold Look up, at hold us. Up, hold up. Look at us. <laughs> you all will be hearing more of us in the fall when the kids go back to school be expecting us to come back as well but yeah y'all are gonna enjoy this episode so go listen a very very special guest with us today guest would you like to introduce yourself thank you so much i am dr joy harden bradford i am a licensed psychologist in atlanta georgia and also the founder of therapy for black girls which includes a therapist directory as well as a weekly podcast i'm also the author of the forthcoming book sisterhood heals we are so excited to talk with you one you probably have one of my favorite podcasts two i have definitely found a counselor and even guests for this show through 
through your directory. So you're doing amazing <laughs> work that we yeah. definitely need. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yes, you so much for yes, that. Yes. For those that don't know, how were you drawn to this line of work? Like what led you here? So I, I often talk about the fact that I grew up being very nosy. Um, I, t- I say intellectually curious, but my mother calls it nosy. So, you know, I would do a lot of like people watching and like making up stories about like what was going on, you know, in my surroundings. Um, and then I had an opportunity to take a psychology class in high school um, and instantly fell in love with the with the subject material. So I went to Xavier University of Louisiana and I was a psych major. And I uh, thought initially that I wanted to be a professor. Um, that I wanted to teach. And then I had an opportunity to do like a student teaching kind of thing. And I was like, oh no, this actually is not, <laughs> not my ministry. <laughs> and then I had a chance to shadow a therapist in New Orleans and was like, ah, oh, this feels like a, a good space for me. And so really since then have pursued an opportunity to do clinical work and then fell in love with outreach presentation. So a lot of my background is in college student mental health. And I would do a lot of like presenting to students about healthy communication skills and assertiveness and those kinds of things, um, which felt like it lended itself really nicely when people like started blogging. So I started writing about it um, and then started listening to a ton of podcasts and thought, oh, it might be great to add a podcast to share some of this information. And so um, now I never could have imagined this would be my life 10 years ago. I always wanted to just kind of have a small private practice and maybe do some speaking. Um, and now I have a very, very minimal private practice. And much of my work is really centered on, um, you know, producing the podcast as well as public speaking engagements. We so need it. I mean, you yes. of all people definitely know how essential mental health is in the black community. And so for you to basically be one of like the faces for that essentially is awesome. And that's even more reason why we're excited to talk with you. Yeah. (laughs) Very excited to chat with you as well. Awesome. Well, now we're going to move into our favorite game, this or that that we play every single week where we pick between one option or the other and explain why. Try to keep the questions this week pretty much on theme with what we will be talking about. So Dr. Joy, you'll go first, then it'll be Tania, then it'll circle back to me. We'll do quick four rounds, but as you um, answer, please explain why. So to start, think about you're having, you're planning a wedding, which person would you prefer to have as a bridesmaid, your favorite coworker or your favorite cousin? Ooh, definitely favorite cousin. Um, and I would <laughs> say that because I come from a very big family. So my mom has six sisters and four brothers. So I have a lot of cousins um, and spent a lot of time with them at my grandmother's house and during the summers. And so it was always so much fun. Um, and so I feel like they would bring that same energy to a wedding. So I would definitely say a favorite cousin. For sure. I already know your answer, Tania, but say it anyway. (laughs) Yes, my favorite cousin. (laughs) Of course, um, for one, well, you know what? I actually had one of my favorite coworkers in my wedding party as well, but definitely my favorite cousin just because, you know, family first for one and, you Mm -hmm. know, they know you know you, you know, Um, a lot of my cousins, we kind of grew up together, so they know the real Tania and so, yeah. My cousin. Okay. Yeah, I would agree. Um, There's something about a cousin friendship, especially as you get older. That's just like, I love it. So yeah, even though 
you can have some good coworkers, but I feel like coworkers are sometimes best as being a wedding guest <laughs> versus anything else. <laughs> All right. So round two, what would you prefer to do the most with a really good friend? Go to a concert or go on a vacation? Ooh, so this is tough because I'm preparing for the Renaissance tour. So I feel like <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I feel like the answer has to be to go and see the Queen because um, I've actually not seen her on on tour before. Really? So I know, I know. This would be my first one, and so I feel like right now in this moment, I would say going to a concert for sure. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I already know your answer, Tania. Pussy. Definitely, <laughs> definitely a concert. You know, I've tried the friend vacations, you know, and um, someone on this podcast, I was like, mm, I don't know wow. if I can go another. Wow. <laughs> I'm, just playing. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. No, but definitely a concert. <laughs> yeah. I, like, why am I in it? Like, <laughs> how did I get attacked? Um, I'm just playing. Oh, goodness. I, I think I might say concert, too. Um, also, for the same reason, like, it, to me, it's also easier like you can use a concert yes. as kind of like, okay, let's see how this works. And if this works, then yeah, maybe we could do a trip. Cause you know, we all see the jokes or whatever about like the, the group trip that like dwindles and then the trip doesn't happen. Or it's just like two people instead of the like 10 or 20 it started with. So yeah. Okay. All on the same page again. Let's see if we change for round three. So Say you are preparing for a baby shower. Would you have a unisex baby shower or would you have a baby shower of only your closest homegirls? Oh, definitely only my homegirls. I feel like there are other events that could be like for everybody, but I feel like Mm -hmm. the baby shower feels like a good time to just kiki with your girls and have them love on you. I love that. You know, this answer may surprise many of you, but I think... Because I was honestly just thinking about this over the weekend, um, a unisex baby shower. And I know that they're becoming more popular these days, but I understand why. And so I think I would go into that direction. Although maybe I would have two. Maybe would I have like I would have like a small intimate one <laughs> with my girls. But I also want, you know, a unisex because I want to throw a party. <laughs> yeah. I know it's not supposed to be a party, but you know, yeah, I don't know. It's a celebration. Yeah. It's a celebration. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. It is. So how about you? So I actually feel like you. I want two. <laughs> I want both. <laughs> um I definitely feel like there's just something special about like having all like your closest like women friends just kind of like loving on you. And especially I think for us, we didn't get to do a lot of things because of COVID. So like being able to kind of make up for some of that maybe there would be great. But I do understand the unisex. Like everybody's doing a unisex baby shower now. So let's do both. (laughs) I guess let's do both. All right. So round four, this is a little heavier, but say a really good friend's parent dies on the other side of the country. Do you travel to the funeral or do you just bring them a good dinner and have a good like night in with them once they get back home? I would probably have to say both. I think, you Mm -hmm. know, for my closest friends, being there in person, I think is something, um, and we may get into this later, but and a lot of in doing research for the book, there was a lot of conversation around friendships breaking up after the loss of a loved one and the other person not showing up the way that they thought 
that they would have shown up. Um, so I think it, it does. It is very meaningful for people to have their friends there in person if they can for like a funeral or a memorial service. For sure. Tania, what about you? I would definitely try my best to travel to attend the funeral because I know how important that is, especially if they are really, really close. However, there are certain situations, for example, because I did have one of my really, really good friends, her father passed away during COVID. And so I really, really wanted to attend, but it was very like, you know, like family only. And, and so, um, but I would try my best to attend. But if not, then a lot of my friends, like they know my heart, you know, so mm-hmm. um, I would try my best to show up. But if I can't, then I'll, of course, will show up in other ways. That's a great answer. Yeah, um, I'm with both of you. I would try to do both as much as I can. I know there are certain circumstances, especially like in the COVID times that made it harder. But um, and I know sometimes there's like work conflicts and depending on the preparation of the funeral, it may only be on certain days and it just, it may not work. If I wasn't able to be there physically, I would definitely probably like send something through the florist or something, or make sure like dinner or something is paid for maybe like one of the nights that they're there. And then when they come back home, like we'll have a night in, um, So yeah, one of the things we actually have to like really think about and consider, especially as we get older, oh my gosh, I feel like mortality has become so much more real, like within the last several years, more so than it was before. And that is the thing they don't really remind you when you're getting older. (laughs) They don't tell you about all the bills you have to pay and that your back starts hurting out of nowhere, (laughs) that you start aching and they don't remind you that like, yes, people also pass away and you got to deal with that. But Anywho, um, as we start our conversation tonight, we're really going to dive into kind of the, this is different in a sense of like, not your standard kind of like wedding or marriage episode, but it's more about the like relationships and the friendships, especially like with your good girlfriends that help you through these moments and help you as you're dealing with these life moments, because you know, for some after you're engaged and you are married, then there's a baby and then there's the, or you're buying a house or there are all these moments. And a lot of those moments are layered with so many emotions, so many feelings. Sometimes you can't do everything on your own and you need somebody to help. And that's when sometimes these friendships are tested and that's sometimes when we're tested too. So we're really excited to have this um, conversation because this is one of those deeper combos that Tania and I have been wanting to have. Um, but to start, I guess, even just with your many years of like doing what you do, what do you think is probably the, a major catalyst in friendship dynamics, either shifting or becoming stronger? Hmm. So I feel like there would be a common answer there in that navigating conflict or the lack of navigating conflict is actually what can make a relationship stronger or can actually cause the relationship to disintegrate. And in the work that I've done, I've seen a lot of stress come up around people getting engaged, people getting married, people starting their families, people moving away. 
And so a lot of those things, I think we just don't always have the language to actually talk about with one another and like some of the feelings that are more difficult for us to talk about. So what happens if I feel jealous or if I feel resentful or if I don't like your partner, right? Like, I don't think we always have um, language to talk about that. And it can actually, you know, cause the breakdown in friendships. And so that's what I wrote a lot about actually in the book um, is how we can have some of those difficult conversations because there's lots and lots of research that talks about being able to have difficult conversations and that really increasing the intimacy in our friendships. Definitely. I think it's interesting to notice over the years that it seems as if, and that's not even just with friendships, I notice it feels like in relationships, period, people don't want to have those like really hard conversations. Or, I mean, even like in dating, you hear about people that are like, well, you know, they never broached the conversation of like marriage or they never broached the conversation of being in a, you know, being official. So then it's like, is it real or is it not? And it's like, why do we feel as if we can't present those conversations? Or why is it that we feel as if like, even with friendships that we can't, like everything has to be perfect all the time. There can't be any issues, any conflict, any strife. When that's not a reality, like, why do you think there is a reason behind that? Like, why are, why have folks been so afraid of that? <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think a lot of us are just conflict avoidant, right? I think a lot yeah. of us think about conflict and we think about like a knockdown, drag out fight, or that this means we are not actually going to be in relationship anymore, right? And so we want mm-hmm. to avoid any of that bad stuff happening. But the truth is that conflict just means that we're human, which we are, right? And we have differences yeah. in values and opinions, and you know, things happen. And so it really is, I think the other issue is that we don't always have have good skills in learning how to actually deal with conflict, right? Like, so we go to school and we learn lots of different things, but we aren't always taught to how to handle conflict and how to share your opinion and share your viewpoint without it actually leading to a breakdown of the relationship. Now, do you think that's a learned behavior? Because a lot of us, as we're talking, I'm thinking about when I was a child, you know, like I would always ask my parents, well, why? And they were like, you're not supposed to ask why, you know, or if I wanted to express myself, I couldn't do so because I was afraid that I'd be like, reprimanded or something like that, you know? So as we get older, it's kind of like, all right, well, you know, yes, they're my friend, but will they hate me? You know, if I tell them this or will they judge me? And like, I just feel like it could possibly be a learned behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think very much like other emotional health kinds of skills. A lot of it does come from what we observe from our parents and other adults in our lives when we were younger. Or if we had those kinds of conversations with our parents. Right. So, you know, again, when you talk about the memes that, you know, joke about all these things and they um, there's a meme that talks about like, you know, your parents wouldn't apologize. They would just say, are you hungry? Right. And, you know, so. So those kinds of things that are just really, yeah. really important for um, emotional health and like really emotional intelligence, we weren't always, those things weren't modeled for us. And so I think it's just now that a lot of us are actually learning some of those what are described softer skills around how to actually be in relationship to one another, how to apologize, how to say, you know, like, ouch, that hurt me, you know, like how to question authority, like all of those things that are really important. I think a lot of us are just starting to practice. That's a good point. So we've been doing this podcast for three and a half years, and we've talked to a variety of different brides and interacted with them 
um, as well. And so one thing we find that happens a lot is that, well, actually it's kind of two things and I just kind of want to get your thoughts on it. So sometimes you see when it comes to like picking the members of your bridal party or including people in your like wedding prep or what have you, we see that it's either someone that you always thought was your friend this whole time that you've invested years with, they drop the ball. They're not as, they're not showing up for you in the way that you thought they were or it's kind of the other side of things where that person, um, maybe they didn't drop the ball per se, but it's like the bride tried to felt like she had to include everybody. Right. So it's kind of, you have these kind of dysfunctional wedding parties or situations before anything has actually like really occurred. Just kind of curious. What are your thoughts on that? Because that's something we get all the time. Mm -hmm. It is very much a recurring theme. Yeah, I I can imagine. Like I said, in talking to people for the book, it came up quite a lot. (laughs) Um, And, you know, so there's a whole section in the book that talks about like brides and bridal parties, because Mm -hmm. this does often cause like real friction and tension in friendships. Um, And so I think we have to think about like our socialization around marriage. Right. So for many of us, we are Mm kind of groomed from very early on to kind of think that this is the ultimate prize. Right. So getting chosen, so to speak. And so what happens um, and not in a in a pick me kind of way. Right. Like I'm definitely not trying to like conjure that kind of an image, but it is almost kind of we are told that it is a prize to be chosen. And so what happens when somebody in our circle can when someone in our circle gets engaged, it can often activate some of those early like rejection wounds that many of us have as little girls, right? So being told that we're not whatever enough or um, being picked last or, you know, those kinds of things, we often see that kind of reactivated when somebody in our circle gets engaged and maybe we haven't and we really want to be, right? And because we don't always have the language and the skills to say, ouch, that hurt. We want to try to put on a smile and like be happy because that's what we know we're supposed to do as opposed to actually having a difficult conversation that talks about, um, I'm really happy for you. And I'm also feeling kind of hurt, right? Like I'm also feeling like really sad that this moment hasn't happened for me. Two things can be true at the same time, but instead of actually voicing that, we just try to put on the brave face. And what ends up happening is that we act out in other ways. So that means we're late to the, to the bridal shower or or we pick the wrong color for our bridesmaid's dress or do something else that, you know, we think we call an accident, but really it's our subconscious kind of acting out of this resentment and jealousy that we're feeling because we are uncomfortable with the fact that our friend has gotten chosen and we haven't yet. That was really deep, yeah. but that, but that makes a whole lot of sense. And you're right. Like a lot of us don't know how to put those things into like words, but then also Even if you have the friend who can communicate that, we have to be willing to accept what they're saying and be okay. And I guess respond, I don't want to say appropriately, but respond in a way that is gentle, soft. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, because like, I mean, of course I can see a situation now where, you know, like a friend says, well, like, I'm really happy for you, but I'm actually kind of upset or mad that, you know, you're getting married first or, you know or you're in this relationship, but then the other person will say, well, why? Like, you know, you're my friend, like you're supposed to be happy for me. I don't understand, you know, 
like, have you always thought this way? Have you always been jealous of me? You know, so sorry, it's a give and take. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it it is being able to kind of navigate difficult conversations on both ends of the spectrum, right? As the person who's delivering the message, but also as the person who's hearing it, right? Because, and I talk also about like the timing of that. Um, Like if you have to Mm. say something like that, like the night they engage, get engaged is not the time to do that, right? Because there is a way to kind of, again, hold space for both of these things to be true, but maybe waiting a couple of weeks to come back and say, you know, I'm really excited for you, but I'm also really sad for me. And as the person who's on the receiving, in if you're hearing this message also being able to to understand that it's not really about you right it's just about what you represent in this moment and so even though it can be hard because it feels like oh is this taking away from my big news kind of thing it really isn't it really isn't about you it really is about again the thing that you represent and them struggling to kind of make sense of their own feelings this honestly reminded me of girlfriends when joan was acting out (laughs) when tony was that's in the book Yes. <laughs> like that was such a that was the perfect kind of like example for that because you know we're watching that as children like we're I think what in high school like when that was on so I don't yeah. think I was able to like fully understand what was happening till it came out on Netflix a few years ago and then like doing a rewatch and it was like wait a second <laughs> <laughs> like she could have there could have been room for both you know but mm-hmm. how do you How do you, as the bride then, create spaces that are safe enough and open enough for our friends to be able to communicate things like that to us? Because especially when you're planning your wedding, you're being told that it's all about you. It's all about you. It's the bride's moment, blah, blah, blah. But then you're also asking all of these people to join you in this process. And so it isn't really all about you. Mm-hmm. To an extent, right? So, like, how do we give our people the space to like come at us honestly, even if it's not like, oh, I'm jealous, but maybe it's, girl, I ain't got the money <laughs> to do all of this. Like, maybe I could do this, but I can't do that because, you know, you asking this before refund season or whatever it is, or, you know, <laughs> I spent my money on these Renaissance tickets. Okay? <laughs> I know. So I grabbed the 100 section when I saw it, or I grabbed these floor seats because I wasn't sure. Mm. So, so how do we how do we approach it from that side? Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of this starts even before you have to have this kind of conversation, right? So typically we're talking about friendships that have some longevity, right? Like these are people who have kind of been in our lives for some time. Um, so hopefully you have navigated other things that have been difficult, so that there is already a culture of being able to talk about tough things with one another. Um, but I also think that as the bride, you do want to um, have a a fair understanding of like what you are asking the people in your life, right? Because again, when we think about that socialization, so many of us have been socialized to feel like, oh, it's all about me. And you know, this is where the bridezilla term comes from and all of those kinds of things. And yes, in a lot of ways, it is about you and your, your partner and, you know, really celebrating your love. But how can we also make that more expansive, right? Like how do you want the people you love to also feel? during that time. And so when you think about it that way, then I think we can have maybe more realistic expectations about what we're actually asking our bridal party to do, you know? So I think things have really like so many events have gotten added to wedding planning. Like I got married, what, 11 years ago. And so now they're like group trips and, you know, a shower before the shower and the, mm-hmm. um, you know, a uh, pre-wedding slumber party and like all of these things. And it, it can get very, very expensive. And right. again, 
those things or people not being able to participate in those things is often not an indictment of like our love, their love for us or their like excitement. It really may be a budget kind of a, of an issue. Right. And so I think again, as the bride really, you know, holding space for the fact that this is not really about me, there really are some restrictions. And am I being unrealistic in the things that I'm asking for of my bridal party? So much, (laughs) so much to really have to think about. It's not a a light task by any means to be in somebody's wedding. You, you got some work to do, but we don't really push that side at all. Um, Well, what about then from the perspective of the friend that might know that the person that your friend is marrying ain't worth a damn, (laughs) basically? (laughs) Like maybe it was, you've heard of infidelities in the past, or maybe you've heard of, or maybe just in the conversations or the things that were shared in event session just didn't rub you well. And so you're still kind of like, keeping that in mind, like, how do you then move forward? Or even like, how are you even happy for this person? Because it's like, well, I, I feel like you're still dealing with X, Y, and Z. But yet y'all are engaged, like y'all still need to address this. So how's that work? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think you have to be very delicate with those kinds of situations, right? Because I think Mm -hmm. often what you end up hearing is that, you know, the person who voiced something like that, like ends up being the target of like the, you know, frustration with everything. Um, And so I think you kind of pick and choose what you want to share about your feelings about their partner. Um, And you can also pick and choose how involved you want to be in a celebration, right? You know, so there may be some situations where it's like you know what I don't agree with this choice but you know maybe she will figure it out sooner or later but I still want to be there to stand by her side Um, but there may be some situations where you're like absolutely not like I don't you know I don't feel like I can in good faith celebrate this and so maybe you don't even choose to be a part of the wedding you know and and having to say that Um, again I, I do think it can be difficult conversations and you know maybe the friendship continues maybe it doesn't but I think that you get to set your boundaries around what you feel comfortable engaging with in terms of them picking somebody who you know you think may be harmful or you know is just not a good fit for them in some way that makes sense I'm hoping the girls are taking note. (laughs) I'm sure they are. I really can't wait for this book to come out because I feel like you're touching on a lot of these topics that, you know, you know, just friendship in general, you know, goes through. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm excited for this book. (laughs) Seriously. Yes. Um, I wanted to go back um, um, because you mentioned something about having these tough conversations, you know, during, you know, of course, the wedding. But then you said something about like, hopefully, you know, prior to the wedding, you've had these tough conversations with your friends already. What kind of tough conversations or like examples of conversations would you have prior to the wedding? Like when it comes to your friends, because like, for example, me and Ashley, like, yes, we've had some tough conversations but not a lot, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Would you agree, Ashley? I mean, yes, but I think it's mostly because we haven't needed to. It's not like we're That's avoiding having question, like having conversations about stuff we need to talk about. It's more of like those arguments or those disagreeing moments don't really occur that often. That's true. 
but I know in friendships, you know, that does happen. Mm-hmm. So I'm just trying to figure out like what examples mm-hmm. would you have? Yeah. So we kind of joked about it earlier, but I think even the idea of traveling with a friend can sometimes bring up difficult conversations. And so when I say difficult, I'm not, it doesn't always rise to the level of like, I don't want to be a bridesmaid. It could be like, hey, I can't actually afford this. So when I'm thinking about difficult conversations, I'm thinking about um, having to set a boundary, whether it's a big boundary or a smaller one. And just how do you and your friend navigate that? So in the in, in the gotcha. example of, you know, traveling, you know, like, okay, well, maybe I am somebody who like needs to fly first class and I have to have four star accommodations and I want private, all of this and or whatever. And then you are somebody who is fine being kind of, you know, in economy and, you know, mm-hmm. staying at like a two star, you know, like how are we going to navigate that? Or do we make the decision that these are not, you know, this is not compatible and we actually don't travel together. So any situation where you're trying to kind of work through some differences, I think sets the stage for you to be able to have some of these maybe more difficult conversations later on when maybe bigger things happen. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because I was thinking, I'm like, dang, like me and Ashley, like, yes, we have some difficult conversations now, but, you know, but I mean, but we haven't been through a lot of stuff. So, yeah. So I was just like, hmm. Well, what do you think? What do you think allows you to get to a place where you haven't had to have some of those maybe more difficult conversations? I guess because of how we communicate. Well, sort of. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. (laughs) I think I think how we've communicated has evolved over time or has changed. But I think we as people have kind of changed too. Like we met almost 25 years ago. This summer will be yeah. 25 years. And so just, I, I, I know how I've grown. So I know like even <laughs> with you, a lot of things have changed. But I think both of us have like pretty much matured in a similar way where yeah. Yeah. like even yeah. in the other relationships that maybe we share with like other people or other things that we've just noticed throughout the years, we don't see maybe that same type of growth or that same type of maybe life experiences that have gotten them to that certain stage. So I think for us, it's like, and also it's like a, is this the hill to die on type of, you know, like, is this really that big of a deal to bring up in this capacity? Or is this something where it's like, whatever. But then I also feel like because we know, know each other, because we met in middle school and Mm -hmm. we, and like, we actually went to high school together as well, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think we have seen some things in our relationship and then like, we're just comfortable enough to bring up different topics. And so, Mm -hmm. um, and even if we're not comfortable, eventually it comes out, you know? And I think we, at times we may not have the words to explain how we're feeling, but Mm -hmm. in the end, I think we both understand each other and like, you know what, I guess like, I see where you're coming from. So I, you know, so I get it. I'm sorry. Or, Mm -hmm. Hey, like I felt this way and we'll be like, okay, well, I didn't know you felt this way about this type of situation. So, you know, like I'll remember next time to not do this or, you know, so we, our communication, yes, has grown. It has grown. So we haven't had, you know, like these blowout type situations where, you know, like we just stop talking to each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't think that has to happen. It sounds like y'all do a really good job of like putting issues on the table and working through them. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes it easier too for like, 
us to have harder conversations when we do, because it's like, you know, this isn't something where it's like, if I bring this up to you, then I'm never going to hear from you again. Or like, it's going to be this whole like drawn out thing. Like I honestly feel like if there would have been something that would have happened for us to not be friends, it would have already happened. This is true. Um, This is true. Especially in those earlier days. But I mean, like mm -hmm. being a, like 14, 15 and the world is so small and big at the same time. <laughs> it's like, once you're past mm-hmm. that, it's not even that big of a deal. Yeah. Um, this is I'm curious though, like when you've talked to people or even just in the relationships you've seen, how do you think like these stronger like friendships, like homegirl friendships, girl friendships, what have you, how do you think that helps prepare one for marriage or like makes them better to handle whatever marriage may bring them? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so I think with our girlfriends, sometimes we have some of that early practice of like working through difficult stuff. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, the more experience you have seeing difficult things in across situations, the easier it can be to, you know, do that with a romantic partner or with a boss or in whatever situation. So I think it just gives us a really early example of how to practice saying hard things and getting feedback. And, you know, like we maybe are not talking for a little while, but then we get back together and start talking, you know, so really working through some of those difficult situations i think it's just great practice for that friendships are tricky they are friendships are really really tricky mm-hmm. they definitely and can be and i think you know that there are lots of um books and resources and all kinds of things that talk about like how to be a good romantic partner but there isn't the same level of like attention and resources for friendships which is why i wanted to write sisterhood heals um because i think you know again thinking about that socialization and thinking like oh your partner is like the person um i actually don't necessarily agree with that because i think we can have a very fulfilling romantic relationship but also have lots of space for our girls right and and not kind of have them as second rate citizens but like these are different very important relationships in my life. And I want to be intentional and careful and cultivating good relationships with both of these people. Um, You know, so I I really am excited that there's so much more conversation around like how to be good friends to one another, because that is just important as being a good partner to our romantic partner. Because we're talking about how to be a good friend, you know, like just looking at like the real housewives of, you know, let's just say Atlanta or Merit to Medicine or, you know, all those TV shows. And you see all these like, beautiful women who are very, very successful and they have these great friend groups. At least that's what we think. (laughs) But, you know, but just seeing them and like how they navigate their friendships at times can be a little bit toxic, but then they still will ride for each other and still confide in each other. And at the end of the show, you know, well, some of them, they end up being really good friends and some we see go their separate ways. Very similar to Nini and, and Cynthia. Like they were best, best, best friends. And then something happened and now they're going the separate ways. So anyways, but seeing that play out on TV can be interesting as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think you got to be careful with some of those shows because we know it's entertainment, right? And so these, sometimes they have like actual relationships and friendships with one another, but more often they're just like put together through casting, right? And so they try to manufacture these like relationships and closeness yeah. that really doesn't exist. So, um, you know, I think we got to be careful with that too. 
Yeah, like whenever I was watching the Potomac reunion yesterday and they kept calling each other friends and they're like, well, you know, we're in this group. You know, I think of you as a friend. I'm like, y'all are co-workers. <laughs> like, let's just be honest. Y'all are co-workers. Like, y'all are obligated to have to do certain things per your contract, per filming spaces, you know, like you have to have an event that everybody comes to. You got to do something that everyone is there for. It's not an organic, like French. Um, there are some organic friendships in those uh, groups, but, but I do think reality TV does kind of skew with how some people do perceive friendships to be and how to navigate like issues or not, because like the whole, I'm going to approach you at a public setting and have this conversation with you when it's like, that should have been a phone call. That should have been a side conversation. That shouldn't be something you're bringing up at somebody else's event. I'm No, but people are watching this and believing that it's, <laughs> it's actually real. true and this is real. And so this is how they should act in their friendships. Right. So, like you I know, have an issue is- with you. Let me invite you to lunch and then I'm going <laughs> to splash the <laughs> No, but this is what's going on these days, you know? And so, I mean, yeah. So I'm happy that, you know, that you are writing this book and, you know, that we can have like a blueprint on, you know, Mm -hmm. what we should do and how we should act. And, you know, like for those individuals who don't do well in friendships, because there's a lot of women that say like, oh, I don't have a lot of you know, girlfriends because, you know, I just can't do women or, you know. And so, I mean, like I've, I mean, I've heard that time and time again, you know, and so I just think that people just don't have that blueprint on how to be a really good friend. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. Yeah. And I think that typically um, there's something that has happened when I hear women say stuff like that, like, oh, I don't do girls. Right. Or, you know, like, oh, women are so catty and all of that stuff. Um, And largely I have found that not to be true. Um, You know, but I think it is there. All of the systems of oppression, all of the isms are very invested in us believing that. Right. Because what happens when women are actually together, then we can make changes and we can support one another. But if we buy into this lie that women can't actually be friends and we can't uplift one another and support one another, then all of these isms win. Um, You know, so I think typically when people feel that way, something has happened. So somebody has betrayed them or they've had an early experience, you know, with bullying or whatever. Um, And so, you know, they may be right to feel that way. Right. Like, of course, nobody wants to sign them to be hurt. Um, But more often than not, I find people who, you know, kind of come down hard on that line. Something has happened in the past that they may actually benefit from working through. Definitely. Just a quick question. What do you think is that determining? And I don't even see how this like this is just me just asking (laughs) as a question. But like, what is that? breaking like how many sessions do you need to go to somebody to realize that like whether this person is or is not the appropriate therapist for you because I know I've had times where like I'm seeing someone and I'm like "Hmm," several months in and I'm like I don't really feel like I'm getting anything out of this but also it's like well maybe I gotta keep waiting maybe I gotta give it so much time like is there an actual like rule of thumb of like okay if this hasn't happened by then let him go (laughs) that's a great question I think it's something that a lot of people worry about and like how will I know um and and the answer is honestly there is no magic number so you know sadly there's not like a five (laughs) sessions in your know kind of thing but I do think very early on so I would say within 
the, the first like three to four sessions, mm-hmm. you should know whether this feels like somebody you are comfortable opening up to. Because that really is going to be the most important thing, right? Like, do I feel like I can come in here and say some things that I maybe haven't told anyone else in my life? And even if you aren't ready to say it yet, can you see yourself possibly getting there with this person? Mm-hmm. Um, I would also say, that if you've worked with them for a couple of months, like you're saying, and you feel like, oh, I haven't noticed any improvement or I don't feel like I'm getting better, it's important to voice that, right? Because every therapist is not going to be the the right match for you. And it doesn't mean that they are a bad therapist or that you're a bad client. It could just be not a good match. Um, And so if you find yourself in that place, I think it's important to say like, hey, you know, I feel like it's been a couple of months and I don't really feel like I'm noticing any changes or I'm wondering like, where are we going? And, mm-hmm. and kind of see what they say. And then that that could open up the work, right? Because you've now kind of voiced a hard conversation, right? Again, therapy can be a great place to practice some of these difficult conversations. And so you might see that you now start improving because you've like broken that barrier. Um, or you both might realize, you know what, this actually isn't a good fit. And they may be able to actually give you referrals to other therapists who might be a better fit depending on what you're looking for. Okay. So it's, there's nothing wrong with even saying that, honestly, like there's no love loss. It's just absolutely. That's a part of our training. We understand that we're not going to be the the best fit for everybody. And we want you to be with who you need to be with. And so that's why referrals are not uncommon for us to say, oh, I think you might do better with somebody who practices in this way or who has this kind of personality. Perfect. So kind of going back to something you said earlier, This is something I've heard a lot over time. And because you're an actual professional, I'd rather get it like your take on this versus mamas and aunties and older folks. But there's always been this thing of like, when you get married, you only hanging out with your married friends. You don't talk to your single friends about what's going on in your marriage. You don't talk about, and then also you don't talk about your marriage outside of your marriage. It's just between the two of y'all. And as like someone who is going on two and a half years of marriage, someone who has multiple friendships and like just friendships period and close friendships, I never felt like that was real, real. Like to me, There are certain things, of course, I'm not disclosing just because that is in my marriage. But if there's like a frustration or something that's like minor, whatever. If my homegirl who knows me is single, dating, single, 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 doesn't matter. To me, I don't feel like I can't share just because of her relationship status. But I was curious on your take on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you in a lot of ways there, you know, so I don't think people's experiences and credibility are, is related to like them having personal experience with a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that there is some truth to kind of being very careful about what you share about your partner with friends and other family members. Um, mm-hmm. For instance, you know, like let's say you and your partner, you know, have a falling out about something because that happens. In, in relationships, right? Um, you you do want to be careful not to share too many details about like what happened because as the people who love you, 
we are likely going to be on your side, right? And so you don't want like your friends and your mom and your auntie and them looking at your partner sideways because now we can't get over what you told us he said to you, um, you know, that night that y'all got into a fight. So I, I do think you right. have to be careful because you move past it and you, you know, you're back in love and your friends and your auntie are like, Mm-mm, we we don't like him. Um, you know, so I do think you have to be careful there, but I do think it's important, you know, like our village, you know, when we talk about it taking a village, um, our girls and our family are as a are part of our village and so if we think we can get good advice or support from them for something that we are struggling with then I definitely think it's okay to talk to you know other people regardless of their marital status um but also to to talk about you know using a therapist right like you've already said um you know so if you are feeling like okay I don't know if I want to talk to you know people who know me in that way then a therapist can be another suggestion for you to kind of you know talk through some of the concerns whether that be in individual therapy or couples therapy if you feel like you want to do that that's a good idea now, speaking of that, like, do you really get a lot of women who come with their friends and like, and like, they have like friendship counseling? Is that I, a thing? Like, I have had that before. I have, oh. I have done. Yeah. And, and I think it's a really good idea. Again, when we think about investing in the relationships that are important to us, if we would yeah. go to couples therapy with a romantic partner, why not go to, to therapy with a friend if we feel like we need it, right? Um, because sometimes there are just things that we like, we reach an impasse and you can't quite figure out how to get through it. Then, you know, a neutral party can kind of come in and help you talk through some things. Um, again, you know, the people who are closest to us often activate little wounds for us that we just don't even know, right? So we don't even know we've walked into this thing and all of a sudden now we're like fighting with our girlfriends and doing all these different things. So talking with the therapist can really help you to kind of get some of that history to see, okay, well, what's happening in this dynamic and maybe what changed mm. recently that now y'all are having these fights that you didn't have before. Um, so I've had that experience and I actually think it's a great idea if it's something that you and your girls want to do. That's very interesting because you always hear about couples therapy or mm -hmm. even like individual therapy or even family therapy, but you never hear about friendship therapy, mm -hmm. which is which is a great idea, a really, really great idea, because there are some friendships that I think that, that could benefit from, from that, even in my own life, you know, right. uh, but yeah, so I did not, I did not know that that was a thing. So thank you for sharing that because mm -hmm, I'm pretty welcome. sure, you know, there's someone <laughs> that's listening right now. I'm like, Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that happened on girlfriends too. <laughs> really? Girlfriends again. So there was this one moment where Joan was in, I think it was Joan in therapy, not Tony. Joan was in therapy, or maybe it was Tony. In Joan was in therapy. I know at one point it was in those earlier seasons when uh, Lynn was working at the Asian restaurant because her um, therapist had told her to stop seeing Tony or stop hanging mm -hmm. out with her. And then he comes into the restaurant when they're eating lunch and it's like, oh, hmm, okay, interesting. <laughs> but um, I think there was also a time too where like Tony was in counseling, but then I think it was a, I need to talk to all the people in your life type more so right. than like a friendship one to kind of get more context and things like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Um. But yeah, mm -hmm. hopefully, 
Hopefully after this, more people are like, you know what, let, let, let's do this. Actually, include that in your like bridal party planning. You know, like if you <laughs> yeah. say. I mean, so we're much- joking, but that actually could be like, you know, again, so many yeah. friendship circles like fall out in the wedding planning that actually mm-hmm. talking with a therapist mm-hmm. from the beginning to kind of set expectations for mm-hmm. people to kind of go on record and saying, you know, what their frustrations are, what they're worried about could actually right. be a really, really smart idea. No, it's a very good idea because tensions are very, very high. And like you said, like a lot of people lose a lot of friendships when it comes to a wedding or even a funeral. So like this is this is definitely an important topic. And thank you for letting us know that this is definitely a thing. Mm -hmm. Well, our final question um, is what I guess either parting words or advice would you want to just Leave for, say, anyone that's navigating a moment in their life, whether they're planning their wedding or they're, you know, maybe they're married, they're buying a house, they're having a baby, they're changing a job, whatever it is that they're going through in their life. What would you tell them in terms of things they should know about themselves or, you know, take into consideration, but then also the people around them? Mm -hmm. So I think what I want people to know is that even things that we are excited about and looking forward to can be incredibly stressful. Um, So, you know, if there's research that talks about like the top 50 stressors in our life and like the top five are like getting married, buying a house, um, you know, getting pregnant, like all of these things that are typically very exciting and we're looking forward to, but there's, they're also incredibly stressful. And so I think it's important for people to manage the stress associated with these fun and exciting things to make sure they're taking care of themselves. Um, but also to, to really be in touch with yourself around how you're feeling in the moment as you're going forward with planning, you know, so if you can, and take some time to journal either in the morning or in the evening to check in with yourself about how am I feeling and you know what's what's driving the decisions that I'm making as a part of this process. I think it just allows you to be more present in the planning process and also allows you to kind of maybe be more pleasant to the people around you, you know, because you're checking in with your expectations, with how you're feeling, with how you want others to feel in that moment. And it typically is just a much more enjoyable experience for everybody. So I would, those are, I think would be my, my final parting words to people who might be enjoying our conversation. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Joy. This Yes. Thank you. I feel like we could go on for hours, but (laughs) we will be respectful of everybody's time. (laughs) Indeed. Thank y'all so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. So we're going to move into wedding vendor love. Who would you like to shout out? Someone that you have either worked with in the past or you just loving their work. Who would you like to shout out? D. Finney Photography um, in the D.C. area takes the most beautiful pictures. I I love her work. Um, Also, Carol Lee Rose here in Atlanta. I've worked with both of them as photographers Um, and really just feel like they really help bring out the best in you. So for people who are like a little shy in front of the camera um, or, you know, a little hesitant about getting pictures taken, I would highly suggest both of them. Perfect. Thank you. Well, where can people find you if they want to know more, if they want to purchase your book, if they want to listen to your podcast? 
plug any and everything you have going on. <laughs> <laughs> so you can find all the things at HelloDrJoy.com, which is kind of like the hub for everything. You can go there and get linked to SisterhoodHeals.com, which is the website for the book. Or you can go to TherapyForBlackGirls.com, which is the podcast I talked about. Um, but there's also the therapist directory there where if you're looking for connecting with a Black woman therapist in your area, you can put in your zip code, your insurance and filter um, and find somebody who you can hopefully connect with to to really offer you some support perfect perfect thank you thank you thank you so much i want y'all to go to find.huido.com and look at our vendor list everyone that we've shouted out for the entire three plus years that we've been on air everything's there yes and not only are all of the vendors we've ever shouted out are on there All of the wedding vendors we've had on as guests are on there as well. So you can find more information about them and their lovely vendor services on find.huido.com. And don't forget to leave us a review. Follow us on social. You know we're Hue I Do Wed everywhere. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, Pinterest. I'm sure I'm missing one. But basically, if you're there, we're there. 